0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Time Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey May larry So today, big day in college football. BC will be playing Notre Dame at 2.30, so just an hour until kickoff, uh, just about right now. UMaine uh, Football playing their last game of the season versus UNH. I'm going to break down what's happened in the first half of that game. And then also talk about the MLB, what's going on there uh, with the last day. Yesterday was the deadline for people to tend to contracts, so for uh, general managers to tend to play as contracts. If they go non-tender like Cody Bounder, that means they become a free agent. So Cody Bellinger is now a free agent. Or if you tender a guy, then they end up coming back to your team. So there's only a couple guys that were tended, I believe, overall. Uh, and one of those uh, was Jock Peterson of the San Francisco Giants. So I'm going to talk about a lot of the decisions uh, the teams are been making over the last 24 hours. And then i also talk about UMaine basketball getting a big win yesterday over Columbia. And also talk about BC basketball. They got a big win yesterday over George Mason. They were underdogs heading into that game uh, in the Paradise Jam Tournament. BC ended up getting a win, so that was big. And I apologize for any noise outside. I am outside right now. Uh, sunny day. Here in Boston, it's probably 40 45 degrees, not really that warm, uh, but it is sunny. Uh, so you stand in the sun, it's not too bad. Uh, but, anyways, talk about that, and then I'll also talk about Northeastern hockey getting a big 2 nothing win over BU last night at Aganis Arena. So I'll start off with UMaine basketball. Got a big win yesterday against Columbia, winning that game 93-70, to a 23-point win. That actually marks their first two-game win streak versus Division I opponents since the 2019-2020 season. They beat BC, obviously, on Monday night. Then had a big win yesterday against Columbia, winning that game by 23 points. So very impressive for UMaine. And they started the year hot, obviously, being now 3-1, and a lot better than they were last year. They did struggle last year, which I'm going to get into in a second. But very impressive getting a 23-point win last night against Columbia, a team they lost to last year in the regular season before they got Chris Mockwood as their head coach. And as you could tell, this team can play. And now this is actually the second straight game. Maine outscored their opponent. So BC being their last opponent before yesterday and then Columbia yesterday. They outscored BC and Columbia in both the first half and second half of both of those games. So four for four in those two games. They've outscored their opponent in each of those halves. So very impressive. Uh, And as you could tell... You made basketball three and one on the year. This is better than they did all last year. You made basketball struggled as a team last year. They ended up getting a new head coach. New head coach that ends up being Chris Mockwood from a Northeastern, assistant head coach for years. He was the associate head coach at Northeastern, and then actually came to BC to be an assistant coach, and he's been great for them. He's been great for them, and not only are they win in games, they're winning games against a big school BC. That's a big win. They only lost by thirteen points in Nebraska. They were twenty one point underdogs in that game, I believe. Only lost by thirteen points at Nebraska to start the year. And if you look at what they were last year, I mean, this team was not competitive at all last year. This team was struggling for the most part last year. 6-23 record overall, 3-15 in the conference. And they lost some bad games last year. If you look at it, lost by 11 points to Columbia last year. Lost by 26 points to Quinnipiac. Lost by two points to Merrimack, lost by 16 points to Rutgers, lost by three points to the New Jersey Institute of Technology, lost by eight points to Stony Brook. I mean, this team is struggling. That's eight points to Central Connecticut State, who they're going to be playing in their next game now on Wednesday of this upcoming week, right before Thanksgiving. Now they're winning some games. Now they're winning some big games. And that's the thing about UMaine Basketball that I liked when I saw in their game against uh, BC, was they play very hard and very strong. Even if they're playing a big opponent like BC, and BC is a power five school, obviously have struggled over the years now in basketball for the last five to seven years, but they're playing a school, a BC, power five school, obviously in New England, and obviously a tense environment being a country forum with BC being uh, 2-0 heading into that game. I know the two wins were reversed Detroit Mercy and Cornell, but regardless, 2-0 going into that game, BC was favored by 20 points. Maine went in and just were fearless. They were fearless. That's what I liked about that team. They played very hard, very strong, which I'm going to get into in a second. But they played in that game very fearless, very strong, and then they ended up going against Columbia yesterday, and now improved to 3-1 on the year. So impressive start to the year for UMaine. And as I said, they struggled last year. I mean, look at their record last year uh, in their division. I mean, they, they were struggling in the conference, 3-15 overall in the conference. Finished the season on a three-game losing streak, unfortunately. we one and 14 away, 5-9 and nine at home, uh, and had some bad losses one of them being by eight points to Central Connecticut State, losing to Bradley by 32 points, Columbia by 11 points, Quinnipiac by 26 points. I mean, they just struggled as a whole last year. And as I said, now with Chris Mockwood as the head coach, comes in, obviously brings a different viewpoint. He's seen what it takes to get a team to match madness. Obviously with Northeastern going to Macho twice during his time there at Northeastern and obviously last year at BC, winning a couple of big ACC tournament games. He knows what it takes to win. He was under Bill Cohen as the head coach uh, at Northeastern. He was the associate head coach for Northeastern for some years uh, with Bill Cohen, a great college basketball coach, very historic coach in Boston sports uh, for college athletics. And he sees and knows what it takes to win. And I think that's what he brought to UMaine his a uh, veteran uh, viewpoint. And that's what you need. You need to play solid defense, solid offense. And you need to be great in transition, get rebounds, be great in the paint. And that's what UMaine's been doing in the first four games of the season, now 3-1. and one. It's a very impressive start to the year. Uh, and as I said, now this is their second straight game, outscoring their opponent in the first half and in the second half. Both of those respective halves now being 4-0 and in their last two games, outscoring their opponents. So they're dominating the first half and the second half. It's not, it's not just like the starting game's hot and then tail off towards the end. They've been dominating, honestly, overall, especially in that Columbia and BC game, as I said. Uh, so yesterday, Kellen Tynes of Maine continued to impress uh, like he has in the first four games of the season, shooting 10 to 13 from the floor with 21 points, three rebounds, four steals, two blocks, and two assists. Very impressive on defense, two blocks, four steals. He just been a force all over the floor. Uh, in that BC game, he had a big steal with about a minute to go. To, you made the ball back to chew some time off the clock and then end up setting up. You Maine for some free throws to end the game and obviously give them the victory. So. Very impressive start to the F4 Calentines. I love what I've seen from him. Humane yesterday led uh, in assists over Columbia, nineteen to eight. They're not afraid to pass the ball around, and they're very unselfish. Always looking for that open shot, of that guy that could drive down the lane and then kick it out for the three. Uh, so very unselfish way to play the game of basketball. It's worked out for them, the three and one. Uh, another thing they do well is shooting. They were eleven of eighteen from the three-point line yesterday, sixty-one point one percent. That's very impressive. 61.1% from three yesterday. They were 12 of 15 at the free throw line, so shot 80% from the free throw line for the second straight game. Uh, and they turned the ball over just eight times against Columbia, and Columbia turned the ball over 14 times. Ten steals for UMaine yesterday over Columbia's one. Seven blocks for UMaine to Columbia's one yesterday. So seven blocks, ten steals to Columbia's one and one. So between blocks and steals, UMaine had 17 of those combined to Columbia's two. That's dominance right there on defense. Dominance. And you made plays the game right, as I said. They shoot free throws well, knock down threes, limit turnovers by protecting the ball, and they play aggressive defense at forced turnovers. And with those turnovers, they get points. They're not afraid to go in transition. They're not afraid to drive down the lane. They were out-rebounded yesterday, but they were out-rebounded BC, which is more impressive than uh, if they were to out-rebound Columbia yesterday. But they're a good team. This team can play, and Mike Hurley, sports guru, knows I know we watched that uh, UMaine game, but obviously we talked about it on my radio show. This team can play, and I'm excited to see what they do for the rest of the year. Now Wednesday they'll be playing uh, against Central Connecticut State uh, for their last game before the Thanksgiving break. Uh, so hopefully they'll improve to four and one in that game. that will be a big game uh, for UMaine. Excited to see uh, what they do in that game. As you guys know, now I'm a big UMaine super fan, as is Mike Hurley. So that'd be exciting to watch. As a BC basketball, they got a big win yesterday, improved to three and one on the year. Going into that game against George Mason, they were three point underdogs in that uh, Paradise GM tournament against George Mason. BC ended up winning by 15 points, 71 to 56, a so very impressive, had 17 points from a and Lankford, three rebounds, three, three assists, a block and a steal. He was seven 15 from the floor and one of two from the three point line. DeMont Lankford returned from the floor uh, as a starter. had nine points, one rebound, two assists, shooting four, 10 from the floor and 0 of one from three. And Jaden Zachary had seven points, five rebounds, two assists and was two of five from the floor. TJ staff 6 points, 4 rebounds, a steal, uh, 3 steals, and an assist. So impressive on the defensive end with 3 steals there. Uh, as for George Mason, uh, Victor Bailey, 15 points, 7 rebounds, a steal, and shots 6 of 14 from the field, and 2 of 4 from 3. So not a bad game for them. I pointed out uh, Victor Bailey is a player to watch out for. He had 15 points. So that's a pretty good game uh, for him. But obviously, ultimately, George Mason ends up getting that loss yesterday. And now BC will be playing Taunton State tomorrow uh, in that game in the Paradise Jam tournament, Towson State on the year two and one. They beat Belmont in the first game of the tournament, eighty nine to seventy nine yesterday. They are two and one on the year, lost to Arizona State to start the year at Arizona State by three points. Uh, so obviously they've started the year impressive, being two and one, uh, beating Belmont who has made much madness uh, a few times now over the past few years, and then Arizona State losing only by three points to them to start the year, playing a Pac twelve opponent in a Pac-12 uh, building to start the year. is never easy, especially for a small school like Tolenton State. But the Texans end up losing that game by only three points. They are 2-1. and one. As a BC, they only shot 61% from the free throw line yesterday. That's one thing that has to be better. 11 of 18 from the free throw line. But at the end of the day, got a big win. They were underdogs in that game against George Mason. George Mason, as I said in my radio show, they were 2-1 heading into that game. Only lose by 18 points to Auburn to start the year. You would think only 18, that's still a big uh, loss. But Auburn's the number 13 team in the country, and playing at Auburn to start the year is never easy. Just like playing at Arizona State to start the year isn't an easy opponent either ended up beating Longwood in their second game and beating American University by 17 points in the third game. So impressive win for BC yesterday with George Mason. Uh, Now I'm going to move on uh, really quick to talk about uh, UMaine football. Right now they're playing their last game of the season. Uh, They are playing the number 18 FCS school in UNH. Uh, They are home right now. UMaine is a home team versus UNH. UNH, number 18 team in the FCS on the year ranking-wise, so that's very impressive. Uh, UNH is up right now 21-14 to 14 at half. Uh, so UMaine obviously uh, still has uh, a ways to go to win this game, but they are down seven points. And if you look at it, UMaine really just has had bad luck. They've lost their last four games, all by 10 points or less, including three of those four games by four points or less they've lost. by. They've lost three of their last four games by four points or less. And their record now in the year is 2-8, so you're going to look at it and say, oh, this team's bad. But at the end of the day, this team has fight, they have heart, And two and eight could easily be six and four if four of those games that didn't go their way in the last few minutes they got wins in. Let's say they had three wins in those games, right? Let's say they had three wins. They'd be five and five on the year, with a chance to win their sixth game of the year, and in the year six and five. So just things haven't gone their way in closing parts of games. And if you saw last week, they were screwed over against Albany. They handed Albany that win. The referees handed Albany that win. The last seven plays of the game, I'm gonna break it down really quick, with one fifty-three to go. They took the lead with 150 to go. Uh, UMaine took the lead with the Joe Fagnana. Touchdown run, six-yard run by UMaine's quarterback. Ended up taking the lead, and they end up losing that game 23-21. And I'm going to break down the last seven plays of the game for UMaine on defense. Albany had the ball first and goal. First down, incomplete pass. Second and goal, incomplete pass. Third and goal, penalty on UMaine. Sets up Albany even closer. First and goal now from the three-yard line. First and goal from the three-yard line, incomplete. Second and goal from the three-yard line. Penalty on UMaine. Now it's once again first and goal, half the distance from the two-yard line. Incomplete pass on first and goal now from the two, but penalty on Maine. Then first and goal on the seventh play of the drive inside the 10-yard line, now this being on the one-yard line. Touchdown for Albany. So overall in the last seven plays of the game, there were six straight passing completions and three penalties in four plays. And ended up handing UMaine that loss 23-21 to Albany. And as I said, they took the lead off a six-yard touchdown run by quarterback Joe Fagnana with a minute to go, a minute and 50 to go. And today, now they're down 21-14 to 14 at half. Uh, and I was listening to the play-by-play, and the announcer, Rich, made a great point. He said, resiliency to overcome all of these obstacles is very impressive for you men. And a lot of fight in this team that shows they just never give up. This team has a lot of fight and just shows they never, never give up. And that's why I like UMaine football, that's why I liked them when they came to BC. I saw something in that team, and I love the Clippers because they hustle and play hard. And a lot of players I like, whether it's basketball, baseball, football, hockey, I love players that hustle. And that UMaine team hustled. UMaine gave it, they're all in that BC game, and as you can tell now, they're still playing hard. So now I'm gonna break down some stats. Uh, for UMaine football on the year, Joe Fanyana, quarterback, redshirt sophomore, 14 touchdowns and six picks against Albany last week. Had 164 passing yards, a touchdown, a pick, and 10 carries of 46 yards with a rushing touchdown. As I said, that rushing touchdown gave UMaine the lead with a minute 50 seconds to go. They ended up getting the loss, unfortunately. Uh, wide receiver Montego Moss for UMaine has been the highest scoring receiver on the year with 31 catches. For 340 yards and a team-leading six touchdowns on the year, uh, and I'm looking for a big game from him today. Hopefully, as I said, you made finds themselves down 21 uh, to 14 at half to UNH, and then running back Elijah Bondwell on the year has 487 rushing yards and four touchdowns. Heading into today's game, he already has two rushing touchdowns already in the first half, so. Make that six rushing touchdowns on the year for Elijah Bondwell, a transfer from Rutgers to UMaine. It's a very impressive uh, year for him. Against URI a few weeks ago, had 20 carries and 98 yards and a touchdown. And now, once again, getting a chance to score today with two rushing touchdowns. So UMaine really has not caught a break, as I said last week. In that Albany game, got screwed over in the last seven plays of the game with, you know, six straight incompletions. With three penalties, ended up handing uh, UAlbany that win, unfortunately, There's three penalties and four plays over that stretch in that seven-play stretch in the last, uh, you know, 35, 45 seconds of that game. Uh, But UMaine ended up today getting screwed over once again. They had a pick taken away of a bad call and then a touchdown to Santiago Moss taken away on an illegal block after Moss already had the catch for a score. They end up still scoring that drive on a run to Elijah Bono right before halftime. But either way, UMaine just has not caught a break at all in their games uh, over the last few uh, four to five games now. So tough, obviously, but I'm very impressed with what I've seen out of this team. They have a lot of fight. And even if they end the year two at nine, they still play hard, still play strong, give it their all. And that's what I like about UMaine football. That's what I like about UMaine basketball. They play very hard. And as you know, me and Mike Kerr, the sports guru, both of us being UMaine uh, super fans now. So now I'm going to move on really quick to Northeastern basketball. Uh, they'll be playing today at Syracuse. Northeastern basketball really has been struggling, which I already previewed this game very quick on my radio show. So the insight I'm going to give now is just very brief, uh, just because the game obviously is going to be tipping off uh, in about three hours from now. The game tips off at 5 o'clock at the Carrier Dome. Uh, Northeastern obviously... Struggling on the year now, being 0-3. Uh, they are 14 half point underdogs today at Syracuse. Syracuse is 1-1 on the year with an 18-point win over Lehigh and then just lost to Colgate by 8 points on Tuesday night at home. Uh, so hopefully Northeastern maybe catches them uh, on a downtrend here. Losing to Colgate by 8 points uh, is a tough way to start the year. As for Northeastern, 0-3 to start the year. Just lost by 1 point on Wednesday night at home to Harvard in their home opener, losing that game 70-69 to at Matthews Arena. One thing for Northeastern, though, that hopefully turns around is that in their last 24 games, they're 3-21. They only have three wins in the last 24 games. Hopefully, at some point, they turn that around. in a big win today, who knows? Against Syracuse could do that. I think today might be a tough game for them. But just to be optimistic, if they were to win this game against Syracuse, then they'd play Manhattan and Georgia Tech. uh, Manhattan, that would be in the uh, tournament they'd be playing in uh, for Thanksgiving. That game will be on Thursday uh, on Thanksgiving at noon against Manhattan. then after the tournament ends, whoever they play in that second game, I'm not sure yet. Uh, but then after the tournament ends, they'll be playing Georgia Tech uh, after Thanksgiving uh, on Friday, December 2nd at Georgia Tech. That'll be a tough game. But if they could just turn things around, maybe win one game to start and then just end up going on a hot streak, which they struggled in the conference last year. I think hopefully this year in the CAA, they went eight to ten games rather than the one or two they won last year. So. Hopefully, things turn around for Northeastern. Typically, they dominate in the Colonial Athletic Association, the CAA for short. uh, But this year and last year has been a struggle, as as you can tell, losing three of their, uh, only winning three of their last 24 games, being 3-21 of the last 24. So, hopefully, things turn around for Northeastern. But obviously, it starts with winning one game to turn things around. Uh, So really quick, now I'm going to break down some news across the MLB, and then that'll be the end of this episode. going to make it really quick about uh, the non-tender versus tended uh, players over the last 24 hours. Cody Bellinger, to start off, was non-tended by the LA Dodgers, was due $18 million in arbitration. The former MVP in 2019 is only 26 years old, but struggled the last three seasons at the dish. Uh, His first three years in the MLB, very impressive. From 2017 to 2019, in 450 games, had 111 home runs, 288 RBIs. With a 278 batting average uh, to go along with a 928 OPS in his first three years. A so very impressive first three years from, 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 from 2017 to 2019. Then you look at it his next three seasons from 2020 to 2022 41 home runs in 295 games with 134 RBIs, a 201 batting average, and a 644 OPS. So, all in all, now I'm going to compare it from his first three seasons to his next three seasons, first three seasons to his last three seasons, okay? He had 39 home runs in a rookie in 2017, had 47 home runs in 2019, and in that season of 2019, 47 home runs is more than he's had in his last three years combined together. 41 home runs in three seasons since hitting 47 home runs in 2019. And as I said, 47 home runs in 2019 is more than he's had in the 2020, 2021, and 2022 MLB seasons altogether. So obviously things have changed for him. This year was a struggle, 210 batting average with 19 home runs, 68 RBIs, and a 654 OPS. And it looks like the LA Dodgers, after non-tendering him, allowing him to be a free agent means he would not be back in a Dodgers uniform next year. The LA Dodgers now overall have cleared up about $100 million uh, off the books between non-tendered players and players that are free agents from last year's club that are now going to be gone. And it looks like it overall, with that $100 million off, it looks like they're going for another superstar, and that could be Aaron Judge. Maybe they make a move at Aaron Judge. Maybe they're making room to try to get Trey Turner back, even though I think Trey turner is gone. Maybe they're making a move at Aaron Judge. And as you know, the LA Dodgers are not afraid to go make a big move. They traded for Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, the trade deadline in 2021. They signed Freddie Freeman in the 2022 offseason. They traded for Mookie Betts in 2020. They are not afraid to make a big move, as you can tell. So that's why I think this Dodgers team is not afraid to go out and try to get Aaron Judge. And especially if they talked about maybe moving Mookie Betts right field to second base, they're not going to say that just as a joke. I think the Dodgers are for real. And maybe you could look at it as, oh, maybe they just want to get the Giants to have to raise their price and maybe take more money off their books because I know the San Francisco Giants are going to make a run at them. The New York Yankees, the New York Mets are all going to make a run at them. Maybe the Dodgers are just doing this. Uh, and clearing money off the books to make it seem like they're going after Aaron Judge. Uh, And maybe that's just a way to try to get the price to go up higher so the San Francisco Giants have to pay more and maybe there's more competition to help the Dodgers. But the more money the Dodgers offer... For Aaron Judge, the more money other teams are going to offer. Maybe they look at it as let's compete uh, with other teams and make other teams have to spend more money. And at the end of the day, it comes down to that competition of who's going to spend more to get Aaron Judge. Uh, but they have cleared $100 million off the books between free agents and non-tended players. So I'm excited to see what they do in the offseason. As you guys know, I'm a big fan of the Dodgers and what they do. The Red Sox non-tended first baseman slash outfielder, Fringe Codero, ending his tenure with the Sox since being traded to Boston in that Andrew Benatendi deal. Never really uh, caught fire as a Red Sox. He really struggled his whole tenure on the field. At first base uh, and also at the dish, he just wasn't good at either of them. And obviously, at the end of the day, the Sox end up moving on. I think that's a good decision. Uh, the Minnesota Twins traded third baseman Gio Urshela, who they acquired in a deal last offseason uh, with Gary Sanchez and a trade with the Yankees. For Isaiah Kahn and Josh Donaldson, they ended up trading Gio Urshela yesterday to the LA Angels for a minor league pitcher. And as I said, Urshela was trading to Minnesota uh, as a salary dump for the Twins to get rid of Josh Jonathan's contract last year to make room to sign Carlos Correa, who is also a free agent now as well. Uh, the Twins just released new uniforms yesterday, which I'm going to talk about them now for a second. Uh, they have new gray pinstripe away uniforms, which I think are pretty nice. Uh, they have a new hat with an M on it. The M is white, and it also has a red star above it uh, for the North Star, which is pretty cool. So I like, I like the hat. I think it's pretty uh, nice of a, of a look. I think at the end of the day, it looks like the Miami Mamas maybe too much, but uh, maybe that's what they were going for, just to try to switch things up. Obviously, teams that are struggling usually get new uniforms to try to get fans uh, back locked in and maybe to add some excitement, but at the end of the day... The Twins have to put a better product on the field. Uh, They've been average the last few years, but uh, they do have some good players. Obviously, now Carlos Correa being a free agent is not good, but they have Byron Buxton, uh, Lewis Arise. They have some good players to build around. Hopefully, uh, things turn around for them. And according to ESPN, this is actually the first time the Twins have worn a hat with an M on it since 2013. So obviously, they're switching things up, uh, and they'll be showcasing the light of the M, as I said, uh, from Minnesota with that North Star over it, which is pretty cool. Uh, It's a red star right on the top of the hat. Uh, they also have an alternate uniform now the twins are introducing a new alternate uniform with a cream base in the twin cities written across the chest and they also have a new home uniform which is a clean white jersey uh, with the red twins in cursive across uh, the center of it and that win the win part of that twins in that new home uniform that white jersey is underlined and they had that when they won the world series in 1987. so pretty cool look i think they the end of the day people are gonna have a positive outlook and some are gonna have a negative outlook on new uniforms i always think new uniforms uh, can be a cool thing and hope Hopefully, uh, we see them on the field. They have a better product on the field as well. Uh, so the new uniforms are not just a way to get fans back in. Rather, they're actually trying to win something. Uh, the New York Mets chose to not tend to first baseman slash outfielder Dom Smith, making him a free agent. He hit 244 last year with 11 home runs for the Mets. He was due $3.95 million in arbitration, and the Mets uh, chose to move on from him. San Francisco Giants outfielder Jock Peterson accepted his $19.65 million qualifying offer from the Giants, only the second player to accept their qualifying offer this offseason. Uh, and If you look at it, there's a lot of guys that denied uh, their qualifying offer that declined it, including Aaron Judge, Jacob deGrom, Trey Turner, Carlos Rodon, Brendan Nimmo, Xander Bogarts, Anthony Rizzo, Nate Ivaldi, Danzu Swanson, Chris Bassett. All those guys are notable players that declined their qualifying offer. The Yankees signed Anthony Rizzo to a new two-year $34 million deal with a $17 million club option in year three of the deal, and that also includes a $6 million buyout. 33 years old, uh, is Rizzo hit 32 home runs last year with a 224 batting average in that hot of that Yankees lineup. The Yankees also re-signed reliever Lou Trevino, uh, who they acquired from the Oakland A's last year to a one-year $4.1 million deal, so not a bad cheap deal there to help their bullpen out. The Yankees also signed... Infielder Isaiah kind of left to a one-year $6 million deal to avoid arbitration. They got him in that deal last year with the Minnesota Twins. They already pointed out uh, about a few minutes ago now when I was talking about Josh Donaldson and Gio Urshela and Gary Sanchez. The San Francisco Giants re-signed outfielder Mike Yastrzemski. The grandson of former great uh, Sox uh, catcher Kyle Yastrzemski was signed to a one-year $6.1 million deal yesterday and a re-signed contract with the San Francisco Giants. The Toronto Blue Jays traded Teosca Hernandez, an outfielder, to the Seattle Mariners in exchange for reliever Eric Swanson and a minor league prospect Adam Mako. As for Hernandez, he was moved since Toronto really wanted uh, to get some money off the books. They were going to be paying him a one-year, $14 million deal in arbitration, uh, and that's what he was owed this year, and they decided to move on from rather than spend that $14 million. As for what they got back in return, especially considering Hernandez is 31 years old, maybe they want to go a little bit younger in the outfield. Uh, But if you look at what they got back in return, Eric Swanson, Great return for the Blue Jays. 70 strikeouts at 53 and two-thirds innings last year with a 1.68 ERA and 57 appearances. And the Blue Jays need a bullpen help. So this, this move makes sense, obviously. They also got a minor league prospect uh, as well in return. And that guy being Adam Mako. The Blue Jays also made another move earlier in the week, designating Ramel Tapia for assignment a few days ago. He had 265 in one year for Toronto with seven home runs, 52 RBIs, a 672 OPS, and eight stone bases in 10 attempts. In six years for Colorado before going to the Blue Jays last year in a trade, he had 19 home runs with 136 RBIs, a 280 batting average, a 325 on base percentage, and a 721 OPS in six years with the Rockies, including stealing 20 stone bases in 2021. So he has an ability to he be a leadoff guy and also steal some bases. Uh, and obviously struggled last year with the Blue Jays and was a little bit lower in that order. But hopefully he finds a new home and succeeds somewhere else uh, since I am a fan of him. And the last thing I want to talk about in the MLB, Billy Bean, former executive of the year in 2018 for the MLB will be stepping away as the president of baseball operations for the Oakland A's he will transition to a lighter role being the strategic advisor for the A's so obviously a uh, less, uh, lesser workload for him and he's putting his time with the Oakland A's 25 years uh, as the head of the A's front office including being the GM from 1997 to 2016. was also the president of baseball operations up until now from 2016 uh, to 2022 as well including being the gm so he's had a long tenure with the oakland days as you can tell 25 years i sat at the helm of the oakland days front office and now the question is who's going to take over for him it'll be david force the gm uh for the oakland days he'll be stepping in for billy bean as the president of baseball operations along with being the general manager and if you look at it He worked under Billy B for 22 years, so he knows what it takes. and knows the ins and outs of what it takes to win and also build a team that can win off of one of the lowest payrolls in baseball and being able to compete with one of the biggest teams in baseball like the New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox. He knows what it takes, obviously, being a small market team uh being with the Oakland A's for 22 years on a Billy Bean he knows what it takes to win so I'm excited to see what he does for the Oakland A's I've talked about it over the summer that the Oakland A's really need to get a new stadium uh the Oakland Coliseum is a football stadium no one goes to the games they have one of the lowest attendance rates in baseball and I talked about it before, having one of the lowest attendance rates in baseball also correlates with having one of the worst franchises win percentage-wise in baseball as well. Uh, they obviously have to figure things out there. But ho- Hopefully, David Forrest does well for them. And now, Billy Bean uh, will be become the strategic advisor for the Oakland A's, so just a lesser role for him. Now he has a little bit less uh, to do, also a lower responsibility uh, than he had before being the president of baseball operations, uh, especially being the head of that front office for 25 years. That's a lot of work. So now he'll have a little bit less to do, and he'll still be there giving his input, but it's all on David Force now, the GM, and now the president of baseball operations to try to turn this franchise around. A team that's been struggling, uh, obviously they've had some success over the years with Billy Bean, creating that Moneyball mentality and strategy, which Moneyball Great movie uh, came out with Brad Pitt, I believe, in 2013. It was a book uh, that was written in 2003, I believe. Uh, but that Moneyball strategy is when you're taking a small market team and trying to build it to compete with powerhouses like the Red Sox, like the Yankees teams that spend a lot of money. You take a very small market team with a low uh, payroll and trying to compete with the best teams. And the way you do that is obviously taking a player that people don't value as high, it's under the radar, and then giving them a three million dollar deal. And then end up you know seeing him succeed and then obviously uh they end up not paying guys like they didn't pay johnny damon and jason giambi both those guys leaving them uh during that money ball era uh for the oakland days in the early 2000s but it's worked for them in the past and hopefully they get back uh to that way of winning since at the end of the day baseball is better when there's more teams competing and if you look at the oakland days having struggled over the years the miami marlins there's two teams right there the detroit tigers Baseball's better when there's more teams competing, and hopefully things turn around for the Oakland days. Uh, And As I said, I'm a big fan of that Moneyball movie with Brad Pitt. The movie came out 2017. I know I said earlier it came out 2014, I believe. It came out 2017 based on the 2003 book by Michael Lewis called Moneyball, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game. And if you look at the Oakland A's in 2001, won 102 games with one of the smallest payrolls in baseball, and then also with one of the lowest payrolls in baseball in 2002, won 103 games and ended up losing uh, in the divisional round, I believe, uh, to the uh, Minnesota Twins. But at the end of the day, that team with one of the lowest payrolls in baseball was able to compete with some of the biggest franchises in all baseball, like the New York Yankees, like the Boston Red Sox. And speaking of the Red Sox, the Red Sox tried to get Billy Bean, actually, as the general manager. John Henry tried to get him, I believe it was in 2002 or 2003. Tried to give him a contract offer to be the general manager for the Red Sox. He ends up declining it, staying with the Oakland A's, staying loyal to that franchise. Ends up staying 25 years as a whole with them. They'll stay there as a strategic advisor. But it was pretty impressive what he was able to do with the Oakland A's, taking a small market team like the Oakland A's and competing with some of the best franchises in all of baseball, like the Yankees and the Red Sox. Because he was able to take that money ball strategy and that money ball formula to see a player that most teams didn't respect and undervalued, take a guy, get him on the Oakland A's for cheap money, and then end up seeing him succeed because the analytics of baseball spoke more highly of that regarded player than what most general managers of the team saw. And that's what got them to be a 102-win team in the 2002 season. So very impressive uh, tenure for Billy Bean as the Oakland A's president of baseball operations and general manager. And I'm excited to see what he does as a strategic advisor. As I said, the game of baseball is better when there's more teams competing. And in that Oakland A's money ball era, that really transformed the entire game of baseball. So I'm wishing him and the Oakland A's nothing but the best. And hopefully things work out for them. Uh, And the last thing I want to talk about, is the Buffalo Bills uh, with their game with the Cleveland Browns being moved to Ford Field in Detroit. They actually end up having to move the game because of snow. 66 inches of snow in the last day or so, which is actually the highest 24-hour snow total ever recorded in the entire state of New York. Buffalo's got 66 inches of snow in the last 24 hours, and they end up moving that game to Ford Field for a one o'clock kickoff tomorrow. So we'll see what happens for the Buffalo Bills uh, fan base. We'll see if they end up traveling to Detroit. As you guys know, the Bills have one of the most energetic and passionate fan bases in all of sports so we'll see if they end up going to Detroit for that game which I'm sure they will but with that snow total it's gonna be hard to even fly or drive out of Buffalo especially considering 66 inches of snow that's five feet six inches that's just ridiculous but but before I want to close today's episode, I want to talk about Northeastern hockey really quick. Coming off a loss last weekend at Conte Forum, they lost 3-2 to to BC. they going in last night to BU, who is very heavily ranked uh, and obviously regarded in college hockey. I think they were number 4 in the RPI rankings and number 2 in the RPI rankings before last night's game. End up losing two Northeastern, two to Northeastern 2-0 last night. Northeastern getting that 2-0 win over BU at Agganis Arena. They got a third period goal from Cam Lund with an assist from Braden Doyle, former BU Terrier, before he transferred to Northeastern. Got the 1-0 lead off a Cam Lund goal and then got a 2-0 lead off an empty net goal from Justin Ritzkovian with an assist from Sam Colangelo and Gunnar Wolf-Fontaine. Northeastern ends up getting that 2-0 win over BU. Handing BU actually the first regulation loss at Agganis Arena at home in an entire calendar year. Their first loss at home in an entire county year, 365 days, uh, which is actually nuts. Just shows how dominant BU has been at home over the last year, especially considering they became one of the hottest teams in all of college hockey last year and just went on a huge run uh, to finish last season. And what a game from Devin Levi, Northeastern's goalie. Had 41 saves on 41 shots, including 19 shots faced in the third period. He saved all 19 of them. Northeastern was outshot in the third period, 19 to six. Obviously, Northeastern started playing more defense than offense, uh, trying to keep that one nothing lead. Especially after the Lund goal, you have to feel pretty good uh, with Devin Levi, Net that you can win a one nothing game. But very impressive finish for Northeastern in that game, winning that two to nothing. And now we'll be playing today at Matthews Arena at 7 o'clock uh, for another game and a home-and-home, home. obviously the second part of that home-and-home home against BU tonight. Hopefully, Northeastern gets another win. Anyways, that does conclude today's episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this, as always. I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Thank you, and have a good one.